Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today is Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Good morning, Simon. And we have Johnny Sisson in Chicago, Illinois. Hello, Johnny. Hello, gentlemen. Well, this week we're just about recovering from last week's episode uh, with Hamish Gill and James Giordano. Uh, it was a great listen, um, especially when uh, Jimmy and Hamish started just taking over the show and just talking to each other. There were some uh, particular highlights, and in fact, my highlight in there was uh, shared with Ray Rico um, when Jimmy described Hamish as the Gary Fong of film digitizers, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, which was which was possibly taken in the way it was meant, which I'm not entirely sure how you would take that, but uh, there you go. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about uh, something that we all like to do, and that's buying classic lenses, and uh, we'll also have a chat about new acquisitions too. So uh, before we get on to that, here's Johnny with some feedback from last week's show. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, so comments from the Photography with Classic Lenses uh, post where we share the podcast. Um, there's quite a, quite a bit, uh, not unsurprisingly, after the last episode. Uh, I want to start w- off with uh, James Thorpe, who uh, said, big thank you to Carl for recommending the Canon Sierra uh, LTM 28 millimeter. Um, he said he managed to find one for 250 and it comes with a finder, which is I, I mean, that's a great price. Um, I'm very curious to see, as we'll be discussing later in the show, if it arrives in usable and excellent condition. Hopefully it will. Um, but so that so well done there, Carl, for uh, maybe your new thing is helping other people buy lenses rather than buy them yourself during the podcast. But I don't know. Maybe it is. I, I actually yeah, recommended right. a, a 50 1.4 Serenar, which I have, whereas my um, LTM is not a Serenar. It's a 28 2.8 yeah. oh, uh, different I, style. But that's yeah. OK. If it were, I, I, I think you know. I might have mentioned it, but, you know, it's. Yeah. That's good. All good. Whatever. It's all good. It's great. I, I really hope it's excellent because seriously, I would, man, that's a great, ridiculous <laughs> price for that lens with a finder. Yeah. It really is. Um, let's see. Uh, we had some other feedback that was really helpful where folks kind of filled in the blanks on things that we touched on briefly. Um, and we had the, the question, I believe it was from, from, from anal about um, the, uh, was it the 40, not the 40 millimeter. Um, no, the 28 millimeter row car, which is, I think is how we got on the subject of the 28 millimeter Canon Sirenar. Uh, but the question was that, that those condition issues regarding the M row car, uh, 28 millimeter LT lens, where it had the spots on, um, the, the, the glass, right. The front element and also the Schneideritis, which is a bubbling of the, uh, the paint around the, the edges of the element and, and Rollin uh, Banderab provided some good information about a conversation he had with a place in uh, Europe, I believe that does that sort of work. And they, they essentially confirmed that that was a um, really a, a lens, like I guess a coding issue that was not really repairable. So that was a, a really good bit of information there. Um, I mean, that's a lens I haven't ever really seen in person, and I certainly didn't know the answer to. And I, and Hamish, I don't think, had a lot of input on that one as well. So that was very helpful from Rollin. Um, 
And then Cheyenne in the same Cheyenne Morrison in the same uh, kind of note here uh, provided um, a really good uh, review contemporary con contemporary review of the Bessaflex TM M42 camera, which is essentially a a Bessa L with an M42 mount, um, and uh, you know able to take thread mount lenses and discuss the the further ongoing joys of trying to shoot m42 lenses and aperture priority and open aperture uh so that information was also very helpful there um <laughs> i don't know if you want to talk about i i, I guess that kind of would lead into the to graham's uh sunny 16 comments about uh, hamish and myself kind of dissing the fuji Thread mount cameras. He, 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 well, he, he blamed us all for, for yeah, he, having to yeah. go at it, didn't he? But uh, yeah, uh, Hamish sort of uh, said, "Well, actually, no. It was really just Hamish and and, and you, Johnny, wasn't it?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he, uh, he basically, you know, uh, Graham is kind of sticking to his guns that the Fuji thread mount cameras are the end all be all. Um, yeah, so yeah, he 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 uh, he, he kind of dissed on us for. Um, for not loving those cameras and again explaining how wonderful they are and uh so <laughs> um so i mean i i i think i hamish and myself both kind of come back to the fact that well okay they are but they still don't work with other manufacturers lenses in the way they do with fuji so if you're gonna put other manufacturers lenses on them you're still stuck with stop down metering um so you haven't really gained anything except Fujika camera, and they do have a really nice shutter release sound. I will say, they have a, a nice kind of thwack to them. <laughs> Great, good, good attribute. <laughs> my, my my take out from that is, uh, I mean, I know that uh, Fu Fuji fanboys are a breed apart, but I didn't actually realize it that it actually started with Fujikas, so it goes back a long way. Goes back a long way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we 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 had that uh conversation and i think what the the, the takeaway was it of it all was is that uh Anna mystery is a completely unreasonable man as mm -hmm. as graham said so it's really his fault um that we're having going through all this trouble trying to figure out you know m42 lenses that will actually work as open aperture and and be useful so troublemakers troublemakers everywhere <laughs> Well, to, well, I was going to say, talking about troublemakers, there was uh, Gazer. Um, oh, uh, yeah. He, he put up a, a, a particularly interesting HDR shot. He, he did. I, I'm still trying to figure out what that is a picture of. It, 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 I don't know if it's – it looks like a bowl of cereal or something, but uh, but very colorful. It's like Lucky Charms or something, and Fruity Pebbles combined to make this beautiful HDR image of something. Um so no, I, 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 I love gazes. I love gazes stuff. I really the photo do. with the um, tilted uh, edge of a of a roadway or a road going on. I thought that was a spoon. Really? Isn't that a spoon in the cereal? You're looking at a different picture, maybe. Oh, okay. Blue background and then kind of brownish lower yeah, part. Yeah, and then, yeah, okay, and yeah. then there's a guardrail going. It's the edge of a road. Oh, is it? Okay. So that still looks like a spoon to you, then, Johnny. I don't know. I, you know, it's HDR. So uh, there was the other thing that came out of that conversation. It's um, spoon. <laughs> oh, what's our wait? It was a, the other conversation we had. Is that every everything uh, like that is uh, um, is interpretation. And we didn't say interpretation. What did we say? I'm going to go back to the thread. 
Um, I think abstraction. Yes, thank you. That was word of the week last week, abstraction. Yeah, abstraction. So it's an abstraction. And in my abstraction brain, I see breakfast cereal. So (laughs) (laughs) what are you smoking? (laughs) It's too early for that. (laughs) That was last night. Okay. I, I, I was going to say, I liked uh, Robbie Robbo's comment as well um, when it was saying, yeah. uh, great, great show, funny too. Um, and uh, he's getting into street portraits and now he's looking for, for, for a van. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Based, based upon what you wanted uh, Jimmy to uh, do with his street portraits. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope Jimmy, you know, Jimmy's got a camper. He could just, he, he's got that little camper. He yes, can, yeah. um, we just pull that around and it, it could say photo booth on the sides. And, you know, he could pretty much, <laughs> have you got, <laughs> oh, I'm going to lose it now. Have you, you, you guys have both, I think, uh, I'm trying to remember, we've talked about, um, Derek, the TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, there, <laughs> there, even if you haven't watched it, there's this amazing outtake episode that they, they literally couldn't film because they couldn't get through it straight without breaking down laughing about uh, one of the characters' caravan that he lives in <laughs> and basically using it as a, like a sex shack with his girlfriend. And it just, it's the most, it's like the funniest thing I've ever heard. Um, so I guess that was reminding me of the James thing with his caravan, his, his camper trailer. So he problem solved. He doesn't even need a van. Um, I've, I've, I've just I've seen that we're we're giving uh, trailers and uh, and vans a bit of a bad name at the moment. Um, I, I just need to um, stand up for um, uh, Rachel Brewster's uh, caravan. She's on the Sunday Sixteen podcast, and she tows around this little caravan. Um, it's got a name. I've forgotten what the name is, but she uses it as a uh, as a lab and a camera ex- camera obscura and uh, doing lots of uh, great things with that. And uh, and I'm pretty, awesome. I'm sure that absolutely nothing nefarious goes on in that caravan. So I just thought I'd stand up for Rachel's caravan there. <laughs> well, and Jimmy has a beautiful little trailer that he tows around. Yeah, that's Maybe. what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, okay. he, he could use that's why he he could use that for his. Okay, I, I'm not paying attention. Photo, uh, yeah, I'm multi I'm multitasking. I wasn't paying attention. Are you buying right. Carl? What lens is what, what, what lenses are you buying, Carl? What lenses is I buying? Are they in, <laughs> are they in mint condition? Hey, listen, I bought one last evening at nine o'clock. That counts, right? You, that yeah, that counts. Okay, I bought a a, a Nikkor, early Nikkor, um, pre AI one thirty five. Uh, 3.5. All right. And is there a reason for that? Um, I thought it looked cool and it, it looks just like the um, 105, but it's longer. And I thought I would buy it because it was only because <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> those are those are great lenses, especially if you like really sloppy focus helicoid. Because <laughs> I find the Nikon's like it's like that helical is just gonna like fly off the end. It just they're so they're so spinny. It's there really funny. That's that's no, a good no. that's a good point. Uh, we should ask uh, Rick. I'm not sure if it's Rick Ho or Rick Hall about that. Uh, was, uh, he maintains uh, uh, Nikon lenses uh, and, and um, strips them down and puts them back together again. And I've I've noticed this with many uh, Nikons that they they do get very very loose. And I'm yeah, thinking, they get yeah. So many like that. I, I think. Well, is that how they were, or or do they just need to, yeah re- redoing again? So they'll be yeah, good, it, good to know what it, the truth it, is. Huh? It would, wouldn't it? Because they are. They get they get really loose. I mean, it's like they're um, 
it's like a uh, Takamars tend to be loose, but not spinny loose. They're just really smooth. And it just, I don't know, must be the, maybe Pentax had all the good lens lube back in the day or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, the night, the night cores seem to be, a lot of them seem to be really kind of loose and spinny. They don't really have a lot of play in them at least, but they're just, they're very, they spin very loosely. So I don't have that on any of mine except for one, that um, pancake, um, 51.4 lens is like that. Mm. The others are oh, the others. Are, oh, the 1.8? 1, 1. 1. 1. 1.8. The 51.8 yeah. pancake lens. Yeah. It's exactly like you just described. Yeah. Okay. Huh. I've, I've, I've come across that lens a couple of times, and they've, the, the two I've come across have also been like that. And yeah. I, I, I do wonder if, the, being the pancake, whether or not they've actually just designed that slightly differently, because it's, I'm pretty sure that's also the same with the uh, Contact Shishika Mount uh, Carl Zeiss Tessar 45 2.8. Um, mm. That didn't that didn't feel like it had a possibly any damping in it whatsoever. It just it, it felt like it actually has a plastic helicoid. It's very very light, and I, yeah. I just wonder if that's a, again a, a deliberate thing. Maybe. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, I mean, I've got the the Konica Hexanon forty millimeter one point eight, which I think is absolutely a fantastic lens. Um, it's not it's not the sharpest lens out there, but it, again, it's just it's just nice and small, and you know, one, it's it's a funny thing. This um, forty millimeters and thirty five millimeters, a thirty five millimeter f one point eight lens, is a very desirable lens. Um, yeah. yeah, it's fast and it's wide angle, and they're expensive. Yeah, you can yeah. get the Konica at forty mil, which is just five mil difference, which is not massive. In in you know, it's still, it's sort of well, it's a it's a wide standard, but you know, thirty five mil isn't a particularly wide length. You know, it is a, it's pretty much the start of wide angle, but uh, but mm -hmm. the the difference between the two is relatively small. Yet, you know, you can still pick up these forty millimeter one point eight um, Konicas for you know very sensible money. I just don't don't get why the so relatively cheap compared to you know the, the 1.8 th uh, 35 mils mm. yep or i don't know mm. well there you go but that, well one thing about it though is it, it's it, they are properly damped um in you know, the, the conventionally made um in fact actually they quite often they tend to be a little bit stiffer than uh the most uh the ones i've i've come across anyway so um so oh, i don't think it's just because something's a pancake it means that they're going to have loose focusing because it's just just a decision that i guess they've that's been made yeah yeah I, well i mean i think you could call that well it could kind of that um the minolta what the 45 f2 i think mm -hmm. it's 45 right i mean that's not it's oh it's almost pancake small um but that feels like any other minolta which to me they all feel really nice i don't think i've ever really felt a lot of minoltas that have bad focus helicoids on them and you know the other ones are the the pentax yeah probably the the mother of all pancakes is the the pentax k pancake which is i mean it's so friggin small and those feel great too but i mean again those are tacomars so they always feel good so yeah I, yeah. yeah well speaking of pancakes <laughs> to get back to uh to get back to our uh, feedback, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the film versus digital monochrome. Yeah, should we go into yeah. that? Yeah. Um, so I made some a, a few comments, I guess, about about uh, black and white versus um, black and white digital versus uh, film, and noted 
our noted uh, monochrome photography connoisseur, Per Per Edmund, um, <laughs> didn't didn't uh, agree with some of what I said. So there's a bit, there's a bit of a comment discussion there that I thought was was entertaining. Um, uh, and then and then Dave Collins was inspired to I guess go out and and do some uh, some street shooting, some digital black and white street shooting with his uh, Vivitar 28 2.5 mounted on his Olympus uh, camera and did some posts in, in GIMP to basically reduce um, the dynamic range of the photo a little bit uh, so that it has more of that uh, kind of film look to it. And I, I do think it actually does have um, somewhat more of a, a film look to it. He used It says he then applied a black and white lithographic filter, which I would think... Um, I don't know what that filter is, but I would think if it's a lithographic filter, it would basically do what happens to a black and white image when it gets printed in a, like a newspaper, which is it even further reduces uh, dynamic range because you can only print, you know, so many different sizes of dots. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. It was kind of a nice looking image and did look a little more filmy. It still looked digital, but it definitely did had a little bit more of a film look to it. Well, good. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. So have you guys know anything about, uh, about, about pairs? Um, uh, that would be Pear Edmund, Master of Black Pear, and White. Pear Edmund, Master of Black and White Photography. Yeah. Well, so let's just you know settle this. I mean, is it crushed blacks and whites, or is it charcoal blacks and crisp whites? Well, I, I, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's the latter. But that's you know, I mean, I, I to to kind of state that case, I posted that image by by Dan. Goshen, which I think is a fantastic black and white image. I mean, that's what I think of black and white. You know, I mean, to me, <laughs> actually, I had this conversation in another gr group. Uh, just, I guess it was yesterday or or something, and and we were talking about black and white. And and there are, I, I think, there are two very different approaches to black and white, which you just kind of mentioned a minute ago, Carl, talking about the two. I mean, you you just mentioned Dan's photo as well, and then the the photo that was posted, which I believe is a Salgado photo, the black and white, where it's it's all just like subtle gray tones. Yeah. Um, and it's that's two really different approaches to black and white. It's not like one is right and wrong. I don't personally don't like the the super drawn out gray tone. I mean, I just I don't shoot that way, but that's just me. That doesn't mean anything. Um. But it is two really different uh, ways to kind of think about it, you know. Um, and I, I mean, I don't. To me, <laughs> I, I think black and white needs to kind of like punch you in the face and give you a bloody nose. And there should be sharks circling in the water that want to eat you. I mean, that, I don't know. That to me, I just want black and white to be, you know, I want it to be all about the, 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 the form. And not as much about all that kind of subtlety, you know. I want the, I guess I want the form and the texture more than the. I, 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 you know what I think it is. I think it comes down to thinking about black and white photography as, um, uh, or photography in general as more of more connected to reality. So the less grain there is, and the smoother it looks, 
the more people like it because it's it looks real or something, which is kind of what I why color photography is problematic because you, you think a picture of a cow and it's oh it's a cow it's not a photograph of a cow it's a cow you know um, so I I think the smoother black and white is and the more it just looks like desaturated color photography the less interesting it is in that way at least to me i think that that is going to depend on the subject matter though isn't it because you can take a, a very high contrast image of a of a scene where there are lots of things going on let's just say there's lots of tree foliage or or, or something like that and if you go very very high contrast then the what's going on in the background will absolutely compete with what's going on with the foreground whereas if you lower if you have a, a lower contrast and I, I suppose this is where you get into things like dodging and burning and stuff like that but if you have a lower contrast in in those uh, busy areas um i think that can help bring out the, the main subject instead of this be distracting from what's behind it yeah possibly if the, i mean if that's no right i mean it, that's true if that's the kind of the how you want to i guess accentuate the look or if there is if the, if that's the the presentation of the subject matter to be understood that way that that could make sense you know that's why i say it. i don't think it's a right or wrong it's just a different a approach to and i mean especially like you know the example that was posted was a portrait and with all the subtle grays of sort of like the hands and the face and everything i mean maybe that for the person making the image is how they want to express that particular subject matter you know right um which uh, that's there's <laughs> who's anyone to say that's not valid i mean that that completely makes sense um yeah that's subjective and and i think the the kind of film that we like um reflects how our subjective um view is of about the look of photographs so you use um grainier film i think that than i like and, and so i've tried all different films and, and i i like foma pan 100 mm-hmm and you, and I don't I don't think you use that. I think you use at least for four hundred ASA film. Right? I, I like yeah, I like FOMA four four hundred quite a bit. But that's mainly I think you know actually, um, Anil in his when a conversation with him, he talked about why he shoots four hundred more than one hundred, and I do exactly the same thing. It's just it gives me more. I can stop down a bit more for street shooting without getting my shutter too slow that I'm getting you know motion blur. So I mean that's mainly why. And then I just control. If I want to slow the film down, I'll I'll use filters, and I'm always using filters anyway. So if I start with a, you know, 400 speed film, it's pro it's really a 200 speed film because I'm gonna definitely have a yellow filter on there. Yeah. So I mean, like when I shoot Tri-X, I'm rating it at 250, and I'm using a yellow filter. So now it's actually it's basically 100 speed film, you know. So if I started with a 100 speed film with a yellow filter, it's gonna be 50, and it starts to get pretty slow and now i've got to shoot too wide you know too wide yeah. open yeah so so yeah i mean it's yeah different approach but i don't care yeah i don't care about the grain i like grain i mean to me it's photograph is not reality it's it's automatically disconnected from reality it's the you know a photograph is it, it's just not the subject you took a picture of right it's a two-dimensional representation that got filtered through your brain and how you used your camera so i I just don't think of the subject as much, I guess, when I look at a photograph. Just to just to take you back slightly there, um, there are going to be a lot of people 
uh, just heard you talk about using a yellow filter and also shooting film at a, if a, at a, a different exposure index there. Um, would you yeah. just give a, a quick, you know, a really quick uh, oh, reason sure. for why you would do that, just for the, for the benefit of those people that don't really understand? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, so essentially with, with black and white photography, um, it's, you know, I mean, this whole conversation we're having is about contrast range, right? And, and controlling the contrast range and the, the final image, if you want it to have more contrast, less contrast, a certain type of contrast, all that is part of the uh, creative process with black and white that to me starts with the selection of the film. And then the next step to me, selection of the film is how I rate the film in terms of the ISO. And then the, probably the next step is what filters am I going to use? So, so black and white film is, is sensitive to a different spectrum of light than we see with our eyes. And the way that you can change the sensitivity of that spectrum of light is to use filters that basically, you know, what think about the word filter, it's basically eliminating certain parts of the, the spectrum of light that that film is sensitive to. So for black and white film, the standard, um, kind of set of contrast filters are think about it, the primary colors, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's yellow, red, um, there's orange, which is, you know, basically yellow and red, right. And there's green and blue. And so these filters have a, a particular effect on the way film is going to render a scene. And I, I tend to use yellow and red filters to increase contrast when I'm capturing the image. I always have a light yellow filter on, which is basically a half a stop to zero to half a stop of, um, exposure, uh, adjustment needed for that because it's, it's eliminating part, uh, part of the light coming in as well as what spectrum of light is going to reach the film. Right? So, as you increase the um, the effect of some of those filters, they they eliminate more light coming in to the camera, right? That's just they they literally as they as they filter out part of the light spectrum, they're also filtering out just the overall range amount of light as well. So, like a red filter, a twenty five red filter, which is a high contrast filter for black and white photography, you're losing what that's. Uh, Two, two stops, I think, or is it eight? Uh, it's eight. Um, the exposure index on it, or the, the filter factor is eight. So you, you're losing like four stops. So if you've started with a 100 speed film and you're losing four stops, that's your 100 to 200, uh, right? Two, 200 to 100 and then 100 to 50. So you're, you're automatically, even if you start with a fast film, you're ending up with a very slow film that's going to have more contrast. So to me, picking a film, I'm thinking about how much light I'm going to need in the situations I'm shooting in, knowing that I'm going to filter that light and I'm going to be losing, you know, part, part of, uh, the, the amount of the total amount of light I can use, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, which is why it's interesting to me. You see a lot of people walking around with a polarizing filter, stuck on the front of their camera like it just lives there and it's like well uh, wh why would you just leave that on because you're <laughs> you know all of a sudden your your slower zoom lens let's say you're a digital you've got a, a kit lens now your lens that's like a 5.6 is like a f11 because <laughs> you've got that filter living on there all the time um 
So, I mean, it just the whole idea that filters uh, reduce exposure is just a kind of a fundamental. But with black and white photography, they also change the contrast range. Yeah. And uh, the, other, the other one there that you mentioned about changing the film speed of the fil or shooting at a different film speed. Yeah. Well, I, again, that's a subjective, you know, a subjective thing. I developed because I develop my film in Rodinal, which is not really a high speed developer. That means that if I'm going to shoot Tri-X, which is rated on the box at 400, it develops much better in Rodinal at 250. So I rate it at 250 to start with right out of the right out of the as soon as it goes in my camera. But then I'm going to throw a filter on top of that. And now that's going to further change the, the how how much light is hitting the film. So now my film that's rated at 250 is really being rated with a yellow filter at more like 100. So I'm in effect shooting a, you know, a 400 speed film at 100, knowing that the way I process it in the end is going to give me a particular look. Right. But, you know, you lose that speed and it does, um, it does change, uh, it does, it, it, it does change the amount of flexibility you have with shooting in low light. It, that's it's also interesting there that you can actually do that because you know, if you put this into a digital context um say a, a, a scene is correctly exposed for whatever yeah. shutter speed and aperture you're using it um but it works at 400 iso and then mm -hmm. you just you're on a manual setting so you're keeping the shutter speed and the aperture the same but then you just change the take the iso down to 100 and take the shot you're going to end yeah. up with a very dark image and and probably going to be quite difficult to actually re recover certainly going to well it's going to be very difficult to recover shadow detail and things like that but when you're doing that with film that's not necessarily the case is it uh wait can you restate that i'm sorry i was looking at <laughs> <laughs> While you're talking, I was I was pulling up Sebastian uh, Salgado's images, who's one of my favorite photographers, who's used as an example in <laughs> in 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 that example. And most of his work is very high contrast. So anyway, sorry, go okay, back. I'll, Can I'll, you say I'll, it again? I'll, okay. I'll, 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 I'll recap. So you would you would use a 400 film like Tri-X. Um, yeah. You would uh, drop the exposure anyway uh, because you prefer to run it at 250, but then you'll put another filter right. on there, which effectively means you have to you're going to be exposing at 100. Right. Um, but the film is still 400. Um, yes. And if you did something like that with digital, you would and say you set the camera up manually that for a correct exposure with your shutter speed and mm -hmm. uh, your aperture, and and it's correct it's correctly exposed at 400 ISO. But yeah. you shoot it at 100 ISO instead, you're going to have a, oh, yeah. a a very underexposed photograph that's going to be very difficult to actually pull shadow detail out. But when you when you're doing that with film, um, you've got a lot more latitude. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And it's also it, that that's right. And it's it's the the reason is you're you're compensating for the speed of the film, knowing how you're going to develop it. That's kind of to me. That's kind of the key. Is you're you're thinking about that step, um, you know, a couple steps ahead. Where I'm going to expose it like this, but I'm going to I know I'm going to develop it like this. So it's going to have a different effect. You're right. You did those. That calculation just doesn't really exist with digital. I mean, if you're going to, there's no push processing in digital, right? I mean, if you're if if you need to shoot something at 1600 ISO because it's you know, low light, you just turn the dial to 16. If you're doing that on 
on film, let's say that you're, you have 400 speed film and you're like, yeah, you know what? The light's really low. I need to push this so I can get a usable image. Well, pushing it, you're, you're, you're underexposing and overdeveloping. So now I'm shooting my 400 speed film. I'm going to give it a couple stops. Let's say I'm going to shoot at like 1600. Well, now I, I've, I've essentially underexposed the film, but I'm going to compensate by overdeveloping longer to pull more detail out of the film. Right. So it is a completely different calculation with black and white exposure than it is with, with digital. And I think this is leads to the maybe mm, unfair, maybe fair. I don't know. Um, prejudice that some people have that unless you learn how to do it with a on film, you don't really know what you're doing with digital because you don't really under, you don't really, you don't really understand the relationship between these things that, that can be true. I don't think it's necessarily true. Um, but I mean, I, I do think I, I don't know. I only speak for myself. I, I look at light differently or think about it maybe differently exposure wise, because I, I've always just thought about, well, how am I, what's my next step after the exposure with digital? You're kind of like after you've exposed it and it's not that you're done cause you're still going to post process it, but it's not, I don't think it's the same thought process as it is with film. Does that make sense? So you know what? Let me let me ask you a question because yeah. I want to make sure that something's not being confused here. Okay. It sounds like you're talking about shooting with an old rangefinder camera that doesn't have metering, and you're and so you're having to make an adjustment on the light meter because the camera doesn't know that there's a filter on it that's reducing the amount of light that's coming through. Because I I used a red filter on that OM two on the OM two. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2N that I sold you, and um, yeah. it didn't do anything because the camera knew that there was less light coming in, and, well, the, and, the media, and it, okay. I shot it in aperture priority. Yeah, and even if I had shot it in manual, I would have looked at the needle. The, but, the, the uh, needle okay. changed the the um, yeah. shutter speed on the camera to just get it in the right place. So yes and no, <laughs> and here's why. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, Carl. You're you're right in the fact that the camera is the camera meter is going to expose it at whatever number you set it at. And it's going to look at the light coming in like a, a camera that has a light meter. It's going to look at the light coming in. And if it's a auto exposure camera and you have it in a mode that does that, it's going to look at the light and it's going to make an adjustment and it's not going to know if there's a filter on front and it's only going to know, okay, you've told me this is 400 speed film. Um, I, I'm looking at the light coming in and I'm going to make this exposure of the camera is saying, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And if you have a red filter on there where you're, let's say you're losing, you know, two or three stops of light or something, the camera doesn't know that it's just going to expose for the amount of light it sees coming through. The uh-huh. difference is, and you're right, you're technically you're, you're a proper exposure is just a proper exposure. You're not really going to see it. The difference comes in the developing which is what, you know, I know that you lab developed that film. And this is where I think a lot of us who, who grew up with film have a prejudice against labs ever developing our black and white film because you will, you lose all of the kind of post um, you lose all the kind of the creativity or the control you would have at, with developing the film to control uh, contrast because the lab is running it through you know, super generic lab, you know, one size fits all monochrome uh, film developer, 
right? So it, it, they're not making they're not making the same creative decision in the developing that you would make if you say push the film. Even if they push it, they're still just using the standard a standard developer. So you're not getting really the benefits of using the filtration. I mean, it, it, it also depends on how you scan it and how you would either print it or post-process it to give it a certain contrast curve. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. Does, that, does that make sense? I mean, I think that I, to me, that's the problem with shooting black and white and then not developing it yourself is that you just, you lose all of the, not all of it, but a lot of the control that you would get by shooting the film filtering it and then developing it a certain way right yeah i've i've got to yeah. say i'm i'm sure there are a lot of people at home now shouting at the the uh, at the podcast <laughs> reason reason <laughs> being is i'm i'm thinking no 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 um and i could be wrong here um but if you if you have a red filter say it's it's taking off two stops of light and you've got that on your this to be specific now on a on an SLR. This is the example you used on an SLR with yeah. automatic exposure. Um, mm-hmm. It will. It, it, it's not so much about the camera knowing whether there's a filter there or not. It's about the the camera will sense the amount of light that's reaching, yeah. however it's capturing it. So yeah. right. So so, so right. therefore, it will slow the exposure down. It will, yeah. but it'll still be the correct exposure for that film speed. You see what I'm saying? Yes. It's, yes, st- it's still going to pick the correct. Yeah. It's still going to pick the correct exposure because it doesn't, all it sees is the amount of light. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and so it's still going to, it's still going to make an adjustment and say, Oh, all right, for this amount of light, here's the correct exposure. Okay. So, so, so the way, yeah. the way that it was coming across to me was as if like, it's ignoring the filter that's on there. Um, that, that, that was, that was the way it sounded to me. So well, it's going to do whatever it's going to, it's going to expose for whatever ISO you set the mm. meter sensitivity to expose to. Right. And it's just going to look at the amount of light coming in and it's going to, it's going to make the decision to produce the correct exposure based on the lighting. Mm. But that, you know, but it's really what happens after you make the exposure where that effect, where the effects of using a filter really become more apparent. Cause yeah. You know, it's it's how it's how you then process that has a, a big a, a big effect on that. Now, I mean, if you take the same shot, I mean, this is a good you know a good a good example, I guess. If you take the same shot on black and white film with no filter and then with a red filter, and you're on an SLR and it's making the correct exposure, and you look at both of those and you scan those both with a sort of a neutral contrast curve. Let's say you scan them both the same way, you're definitely going to see more contrast in the filtered image. Mm-hmm. Now the initial exposure will be correct with each image. That's the key, right? The camera, if you're using a metered camera is going to correctly expose for the amount of light coming in with the filtered and unfiltered photo. It's going to have a longer exposure for the filtered photo. But so if you, if you put both those photos together, they're going to, they're going to both be a correct exposure, but one is going to have a different contrast range than the other. Yeah. Okay. So and, let me, let me just, the filter. Let me just so let me just make sure we have this really really straight because I, I don't want people to be confused. Okay, so wait, people don't listen to this podcast not to be confused. Uh, that's right. I, okay. Today on the Sunny Sixteen podcast, we're so, going to be talking about filters. No, no. I, I take an SLR camera that has um, aperture priority, and I and I put 
um, some fi film into it, whatever, 400 ASA film. And, and I stick a red filter onto it. Um, and the, the camera notices that there's less light coming in and it exposes the image properly, but it doesn't know that the, 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 the kind of light coming in has changed. So, um, so, that, that, so this that, is, so what yeah. this is really all about is not using the camera part. We're talking, it's really all about developing the developing part. Yes, it's exactly. Okay. It's about, it's about the sensitivity of film to the spectrum of light. Okay. Exactly. All the cameras doing, yeah. All the cameras doing is saying, Okay, you've set the meter at 400, I, and you're pointing me in this direction, and I'm seeing the light, and I'm going to make the exposure here because this is the correct amount of light to produce okay. a right. So that yeah, the camera has no, it does not know. <laughs> it, all it knows is there's light, and it reacts at us in a certain way with the meter, and the meter is meant to provide the quote unquote correct exposure, right? Right. So all, all so the stuff all, that you yeah. talked about at the very beginning would relate, especially to someone who um, had a, an old rangefinder like you and I have, and it has no light meter in it at all. Well, and we stick a filter on it, and and we have 400 ASA film in it, and that we know there's less light coming through to the film, and so we're gonna we're gonna do something with the light meter to tell it that it's really 100 speed film or something like that. It, but it's 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 no it's no different though whether or not the camera has a meter because that if you're metering it you're <laughs> doing the you're doing the same calculation but just you're doing it on the meter i mean so if you're metering 400 speed film and let's say you have a a red a, a you know a 20 number 25 red filter on the camera you're you're compensating for that when you make the exposure you're compensating for the filter factor Right. That's okay. If, you're assuming yeah. a shooting manual. I was talking about aperture priority. Okay, but either, but no, but either way, you got to compensate for the three stops of well, the, you know uh, the light that's changing. That's the whole. That's I guess the whole key. It's just are you get is the computer brain in the camera with the auto mode going to do it, or are you going to do it in your brain on the light meter? Either way, you still have to make that correct exposure, right? Yeah, I'll have to send you some photos that I took with that camera that you have uh, with a red okay. filter where I didn't do yeah. anything to make any adjustments and they came out really cool. But I bet that if I had um, taken the negatives and been real serious and known how to do it myself, I could have made them look even more interesting because the sky had beautiful, interesting clouds that looked really bizarre and um, yeah. they could have been defined better. Yeah, could be. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that and that and that's the thing is like a, a, a like a number to go back to a number like a. A yellow filter and a red filter both of those filters will darken skies dramatically so if you see like a black and white photo where the sky you have like really white clouds and essentially a black sky yep. a lot of times that's shot with a, a like a dark red filter because if you think about it you've got a blue sky coming through a red filter so it's a it's it's filtering out the part of the spectrum right that the that the film would be sensitive to um, and it's and the film is being exposed differently because of that reason. The same thing can happen with you know a foliage. You use a like a green filter, and it changes the look of plant leaves because it's filtering out. You got you know green leaves, and then you're filtering out that green spectrum of light, and it's going to expose differently. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. So I mean, uh, there, yeah. there's a lot of really interesting guides online. If you you know, it's it's a lot easier to visualize this if you just kind of look up black and white contrast filter stuff and you'll see a lot of images that 
kind of make that really apparent because it'll show the before and after like filtered and unfiltered image the same image with two different filters you know yeah so yeah well i just got to say I, I can hear the the james giordano alarm going off that we we've, we've, we're not talking enough about lenses <laughs> okay no. all right yeah <laughs> talk about lenses you guys <laughs> i'm gonna stop listening yeah <laughs> so, so um and then, and then i just glazed over <laughs> So Sorry, um, we'll bring, bring 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 it back, of course. Now, have we have we have we done have we done all the feedback for last week? Now, I think we must have done by now. Is that, is that um, right? Easy. Yeah. Anyway, let's yeah. Let's, let's say that we have. Uh, apologies okay. if, if there's anybody <laughs> that we haven't. Um, so uh, let's moving thing moving things back. Um, we're going to yeah. have a quick talk about new acquisitions because uh, both uh, Carl and Johnny, you've both got uh, new acquisitions to talk about. So Carl, do you want to tell us about uh, what you've bought? And I don't necessarily mean about what you've literally bought in the last three minutes. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, have you, what have you actually received this time? All right. So it's not that much. It's just five things. And, and I'll oh spend my God. most of the time on, on two of them. Um, so, right. So just literally last night I, I saw um, – you know, we were on this 105, 2.5 Nikkor uh, craze a couple of weeks ago, and a bunch of people bought them, and we're all were really happy, I think. We've been seeing great photos. And um, I, I saw uh, a 135-millimeter early Nikkor that looks exactly the same, except that it's a longer lens, and um, and I bought it last night that, just because I wanted it. I, I don't really need it. So I don't know about that. I, haven't, I don't have it yet. And then um, I've been shooting my Leica rangefinder quite a bit, and I tried to um, use a cheap Soviet lens on it and got so freaking annoyed in trying to turn the aperture dial on it and breaking a fingernail that um, I went and bought a Leica Sumar 50 F2 lens on it that has a, a much nicer way to turn the aperture, but it hasn't arrived yet. And it's going to be kind of sand socked on the front element, not as bad as Johnny's sand sock lens, but the rest of it looks really good. Um, I have a Canon 51.4 FL um, because, as I've told people before, I think this is one of the best 50 millimeter 1.4 lenses that you can get for a good price, and um, especially on a full frame. And so I thought I'd get another one just to have it because the prices keep going up. And when it arrived, it looked beautiful. In fact, I could take a photo of it. Um, that would be a photo that someone might post for sale on eBay. And it just looks spectacular. Any way you look at it, it looks like a brand new lens. And I shone a flashlight into it, and I noticed that someone had taken it apart, tried to clean it, and on one of the inner elements, um, they had um, tried to remove fungus that must have been over the almost the entire element, and they didn't get it all off. So the element has about 50% coverage of a fine layer of either fungus or some kind of crap. And... Um, so I contacted the seller, and the seller refunded um, the money, and I was just about to mail it back to Japan, and uh, he or she sent me a message and said, just keep the lens. And so I, so I have the lens with fungus on it, and then I might, just as an experiment sometime, see if I can take it apart. That The problem, of course, um, that I've learned over the years is when it looks like there's something on the element just behind the front element, then when you take off the front element, you realize it's maybe the one right behind the next one. And then you realize it's the one right behind the one after that. And I had had this problem with a bug one time and I got so pissed off that I just threw the lens into the trash um, and w all, without putting it back together again. But I'm, 
I might do that. And so, so that was a good thing. And that, that's probably the fourth time I've bought a lens from Japan where I've had fungus and in every case was told to just keep the lens and uh, got a refund. So those, you know, they weren't bad experiences. So not happy. I wish I had a nice one of these. Um, then last week I, I got on this thing about, I really ought to have a Nikon camera body because I've got all these Nikkor lenses and I keep buying more of them and I have seven of them now and it would be cool to shoot them on film. And I had a Nikon FA that was really nice, but I didn't, I didn't like it. It has these funky um, LCD um, displays inside. This is little square numbers and I, I didn't like it. I like an old fashioned needle. And so I, I decided to buy a Nikon FE, which is I think a really good um, Nikon film camera. And so um, I've, very carefully shopped. I found one listed with a huge amount of detail by a guy who um, apparently has a small film shop where he had taken the bottom apart and lubricated it, adjusted the speeds, tested the speeds and all this stuff. And, and it came and I put a lens on it. And um, and so I went through all the things that you do to make sure that if I you know, you change the um, uh, ex exposure compensation that the meter responded and changing the aperture the meter responded the way that you'd expect and the shutter fired and everything looked good and then uh, and then I noticed god the lens is like really jiggly it feels like it's going to fall off a freaking camera so I took the lens off and uh, and the three screws on the lens mount were really loose like almost coming out so I just I and and so I, I have some Japanese standard screwdrivers and I screwed those screws back in and then they um AI coupler wouldn't wouldn't turn. So on a, on, a, on Nikkor film cameras, there's a, a another ring behind the lens mount that has a little lever that when you change the aperture, it um, the the camera knows that you're doing that if, if it's a metered camera and uh, responds accordingly. And it was stuck solid. And the only way I could get it to work was to loosen the screws back up again, so loose that the, the lens probably would have fallen off. And I contacted the guy and. Um, like I got a refund on that. No problem. I sent it back and I, and I got a refund. So then I thought, well, I'll buy another one. And so I found another one again from a, um, a, a eBay seller who represented um, themselves as a, a small uh, film shop. Um, and this one said um, tested and fully functional. Okay. And we can talk about later what that, what that means. I, I thought I knew what it meant, but maybe it, I was wrong. And um, so I got the camera and it was really, I thought, oh, this looks great. It was really nice. It was an all black one. It had some cool brassing on the edges, which I, I like the look of the thing. And um, checked it all out again. It worked good. And then I pushed my fingers in on the back door, which I always do, to see if the back door is tight. And the freaking back door goes in like two millimeters in and out. And I, oh my God, you know, this is going to be light leaking into this thing. There's no way. So um, I contacted the seller and he said, well, this shouldn't be a problem. We didn't mean we tested it with film when we said we tested it. We just tested to make sure all of the things worked on it without film. But you should be okay. And I, I said, I don't want to, I'm not going to run a roll of film through it to see if I'm okay. I want my money back. And then and I got a refund again. So that one went back too. And I have another refund. So I didn't lose any money. I don't have a Nikon FE camera. And I don't know if I want to buy one now anymore unless I buy it from a camera shop or somewhere where I can actually have one in my hands and see it before I buy it because I'm on a losing streak right now with not trying to get that particular camera body. So <laughs> that's my that's my recent – those are my recent acquisitions. Johnny, you want to do yours? 
Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play a sound effect um, right here. <laughs> Listen. So I'll do it one more time. That is the sound of uh, one of the three new Petri Green Amatics that arrived to me this week. Um, <laughs> oh my god! You've <laughs> lost it. You've gone off the deep end. Yeah, I've gone off the I've gone off the deep end with the Green Amatics. I'm fully immersed in the cult. Um, uh, oh, sorry, I just dropped the lens cap. You just dropped the camera. <laughs> the lens cap. No, to, the camera. Have to, have for he's, just, sure. he's just fixed the camera. Is at the same yeah, time? Fixed, you know, it might work yeah, because you know it's probably going to the shutter is going to lock up within a, a week or so. Well, anyway, so. so my my whole reason for doing this is that the one I have, I love it, and I don't. I, every time I, I've said this, every time I press the shutter, I'm like, I feel like it's a little gift from the universe because I feel like <laughs> at any time it could just not work anymore. So I I've procured. Um, well, this is part of my story, but I've I've i now have in front of me four greenomatics, which is the the one point nine uh, Petri um, camera, like super the color corrected super one point nine, um, and I have there's two different versions of that camera, so I now have two copies of each version, and I would have had a third copy of my preferred version, which is version three, but the one that I got from KEH um, was not the camera shown. Now, I, KEH, if you've bought from them, their disclaimer is the photo shown here is not the actual item. And that's fine. I do the same thing on the camera shop that I work for. We don't always have the ex- a photo of the exact item, but it's, you know, it's representative. It's the same item in the condition described in this case, there's three versions of this camera and they, the one I received is a version one of the camera, not a version three, which they're completely different. I mean, technically they have the same name, but they're, they're not at all the same camera. So I, I received the, you know, the, something that is not at all what was pictured. So I had to send that back. Um, so, but anyway, the idea with the Petri's is that I would, you know, going to amass, a couple of enough cameras so that I can send them all out to get serviced and make like two good working cameras out of like four cameras. Um, and I've bought them all so cheap that it's kind of no big deal. Um, cause I'm the Petri whisperer and they come to me. So anyway, now I have essentially one, two, three cameras that I think I can make two really good working cameras out of. So I'll have, I'll end up, I'll net my net, my net profit will be three really nice, hopefully Petri's. Um, uh, but my other, my other buying experience, which is also with KEH was that I bought, um, they had a, a Canon, uh, LTM 35 F2 lens that appeared on their website. Um, and I've been shooting this lens now for, uh, a few months on my, uh, mainly on my, um, Canon P and I, the one I have, I got from Japan, and it was mostly as described, which I think talking about buying lenses from Japan, they tend to be mostly as described and not exactly as described. And that was the case with the one I got from Japan that was described as perfect, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, you know, I, as soon as I got it, I looked at it. It has a teeny, teeny bit of kind of um, spotty haze and a couple of marks, but you know, I flashlight tested. I'm like, I'm perfectly fine with that. It's not a hundred percent as described, but I know that those flaws are going to have no impact on image quality. And that's exactly what I've seen in the images out of that camera. It has amazing <coughs> amount of kind of pop to it. So I, I've been shooting the 35 
F2 LTM on my Canon P and then I have on my uh, Canon 4SB, I have the 35 2.8, the older Cyranar version. And the look between the two 35s is really, really different, even at the same apertures. The 35 F2 just has a lot more pop to it. I, I like the rendering of the 2.8, but it's just the the F2 is just like it's it's like in another it's in another zone. Um, so I'm like, all right, if I see another one of these, I'm gonna grab it. And lo and behold, one shows up on KH. It was not cheap. It was over five hundred dollars. Um, this lens is rapidly increasing in price. If you're at all kind of watching what's going on with Canon LTM lenses right now, so. In the past year, this lens has gone up to a point where they're nearly $500 in any sort of really good condition anywhere. And that anywhere is almost always from Japan. So I'm like, you know what? I will pay gladly uh, uh, somewhere around $100 premium to buy this thing from KEH because I know that it's going to be, if they describe it excellent, which it was, I can count on the glass being really good. And I don't care about the cosmetics of the body so much. All I want is good glass, right? So I get the lens. Um, and it, it's actually really nice on the outside. It's definitely excellent as described. Uh, and then I, I look through it and immediately, <laughs> immediately I see separation in about four spots in the center group that's just unmistakable. I mean, there's no way if you look through the lens and know what you're looking for, you're going to, you're going to miss the separation. Um, so I, I mean, I called him, I had a package was open for two minutes and I called him up and I said, yeah, you know, I got to send this back. And they're, you know, to their credit, they're great about returns if there's any problem they take it back it doesn't matter and i explained yeah you know the one is not the 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 camera that was pictured and i know it's representative but it's like a completely different model of that camera and then you know there's just their separation in the 35 and they're really nice about it and they're you know immediately sent me a return ticket and I, within an hour i had this thing packed up and sending back to them but at the same time i'm now out about six hundred dollars that's just kind of tied up for a, a week or two until the return gets to me where I, I can't really, if let's say I found another version of that lens, I wouldn't be able to buy it. So the fact that it was not as described, not the end of the world, but certainly kind of annoying. Cause you know, now they're essentially, they've got my money to play with and draw interest on for a week or so. And I'm out the money. So not the end of the world. It really, it ultimately cost me nothing. They paid for shipping both ways or they're going to reimburse my initial shipping and they paid for shipping to go back. But nonetheless, I was a little bit disappointed because this is now the second or third really time that I've bought from KH and something um, in their excellent rating, which used to really mean like it's friggin' mint if they said excellent, because it used to be whatever they said, you could count on it being kind of one step up from there. And I have not really find that to be the case anymore. And I mean, maybe that's because they're doing so much business that they're just not spending the time looking at things. Um, and you have to pay people to spend time to look at things, you know, to review equipment. And you have to have people who can properly assess a large variety of different equipment. And that's, you know, that is tough. I mean, that's what I do in my day job at the shop is we assess equipment all day long. So I, I can understand why I got a lens that, was described as excellent that had separation, but it it's kind of annoying. <laughs> so I, I, I guess that goes into our whole conversation. We're going to talk about, um, you know, when you're buying things online, uh, you just have to really know what, what, what you're looking for and then how to inspect things when you receive them. Um, because, because my opinion is I, I don't care what 
it's described as because I, if somebody says it's perfect, everything's working. I, I don't know that until I have it in my hands. It's like Schrodinger's cat. It's like, it's both alive and dead until you open the box and look in and see. Um, and I feel like it's that way with buying stuff online because until you actually have it in your hands and try it, the described as is limited by the, by the seller's knowledge about that item. And they may or may not know that item. They may or may not be hoping you don't know that item as well as they do. And something they know is wrong with it. You're not going to notice. Um, so there's a lot of, to me, it means nothing until you actually have it in your hands and you can check it out. So, I mean, I, I look at the photos in the description I take the description with a huge grain of salt and I just make sure that they have a seller has a good rating on eBay and the item is listed as, as uh, returns accepted rather than no returns, which is kind of meaningless now because as a seller, eBay is going to screw you if you try to sell something and, and won't take it back. If it has a problem, they're always going to side with the buyer. But nonetheless, if the buyer is saying no returns, I don't even want to freaking deal with that person um, because at least 75% of the time, the things I, I get on eBay are in some level not as described and they go back. Well, <laughs> there's a, a, few, a few things in there. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think you do have some, you've, you've definitely had some bad experiences on eBay, um, more so than I think uh, Carl and I, at least, anyway. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, generally speaking, I'm, I'm, it's a while since I've actually bought something on eBay that, that wasn't quite right. And funnily enough, the last item that I bought um, that didn't work, it was, it's not, shouldn't be any surprise whatsoever, and that was a Petri uh, color corrected. <laughs> no, that, super, that's, yeah. how that's how they're supposed to be not working. Yeah, ex exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, part, it's part of their charm, isn't it? But, uh, yes. but yes. no, one of the – and, and the, the problem with this, it was described as working, and um, yeah. they have a combined – it is right. They have a combined aperture and shutter, don't they? That, that's, how, that's how they – uh, meter, I think. Um, not 100 sure, but anyway, yeah. One of the leaves of the aperture was just stuck, um, so it, was, it wasn't going to go anywhere. And now it's possible uh, that that lens, that camera, may have been absolutely fine uh, when the the seller did the photographs and uh, and and posted it. And it could have been dropped. And being a Petri, it's not going to take much to break it. So uh, you, I think it's you've you've got to give sellers some latitude sometimes uh, because even even the best sellers can make mistakes and i'm saying that because i'm classing myself as being a best seller and i've made mistakes with uh, with things sure. that i've sold yeah. but I'm, I'm also glad to say that it happens infrequently and i always deal with the situation as well that's 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 the other thing i mean for, for me the test of a good seller is actually when things go wrong and how you how you yeah. how you're treated yeah. when, when things go wrong if, if people hide behind ebay um then or try to which is which is always futile then uh, that's that's a, a, a you know, it's not a good it's not a good sign but another right. thing in there when you, you said like you 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 don't really uh, put much stall in the the description well you you've got to okay you might not think it's actually going to be true but you certainly certainly got to study uh, the description if uh, oh yeah, if, if, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> because uh, ultimately it, it, a lot of these descriptions are it, it's it's as much about what a description doesn't say as well, what it does yes. say right. and and now that can be down to as you've already highlighted there the experience of the seller 
there are lots of uh, genuine people that don't know enough about the product they're selling. And when it's, and, yeah. and it could be just that, you know, they're not a professional seller. They've just got a few items and they're going to sell it off. And they know a bit about cameras, but not too much. And they're almost like the worst people to buy from um, because <laughs> yeah, they, they, they seem like they know what they're talking about, but ultimately don't, they don't know enough and they can miss some problems. Um, and it, and it's certainly the case buying cameras is certainly far more problematic than, than buying cameras and selling cameras is more problematic. I, I frankly, I, I don't, I sell uh, cameras and lenses and I, I really don't like selling cameras because unless I've run a, a roll of film through it, um, I don't, know 100% if that's going to work properly and and nobody does it's, it's as simple as that until you run a roller film through a through a film camera you do not know if it's going to be working properly because so it might not be winding properly it might be slipping and there, there might there can be lots of things even if you you know light 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 leaks you know you you get those and sometimes you can you can see there's going to be a problem sometimes you can't it, it's mm -hmm. it's as simple as that but ultimately a good seller will, will take something back or perhaps give a partial refund if if it's a, a relatively minor thing that the the buyer can uh can, can deal with but reading that description and, and the things that it doesn't say is massively important what you need to know is it's a case when you're buying a lens, I stick with lenses now. There are there are things that you you always want to know about, and you know, and it's the first one that everybody thinks of as fungus. You know, has it got any fungus in it? Now, we talked about fungus in the past. Fungus is not necessarily a good a, a reason not to buy a lens if the lens is cheap enough and the fungus isn't just completely obliterating the optics. Um, that's that's no reason not to buy a lens because one you might be able to clean it yourself or or at the end of the day it's just going to be a lot cheaper and you and the pictures i've got fungus affected lenses that take great photographs and they've been a fraction of the price of what they would be if they were perfect lenses so fungus is something that you want to look out for and certainly if you're in a humid country then it's probably going to be more of an issue than if you were to have a dry atmosphere to work with because you know, the fungus is likely to be stabilized so that's one thing. Next one being haze and fogging. Um, that's, in my view, is a little bit more serious um, because I don't. I'm not too sure how stable that 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 might be. Johnny, you might know a little bit more about that than than than, than I. Um, but it's it's something that I personally don't like to have fogging or fung or haze yeah. in in a lens because. And and they can actually also mean different things as well. Um, but it's I believe generally haze is the breakdown of coating of, of the uh, like the multi coatings and coatings that are on the, on the lenses themselves. And I've I've had a, a lens from Japan once. It was a uh, a Canon uh, LTM thirty nine fifty millimeter one point two, and it was described as having some water droplets in the back of it. And I was thinking, well, that doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, the, and the price was right and so on. But those water droplets, it wasn't water. Um, you could turn it upside down and they would stay put. And it was actually uh, the the coating on one of the internal elements had uh, just broken down and it was just a gunk. And mm -hmm. you can't just remove that and just make and, the, and everything will be okay because it smears and it, it needs to be, you know, properly cleaned. And even when you've properly cleaned it, um, it tends to like leave like a, a mirror effect. Um, you can still use the lens, but you, it just doesn't look great. And I think the the contrast goes down on it as well. So, so that's that's something to av avoid, I would say, uh, when when you see haze. But again, 
if if you know, lots of lenses have, have got problems with haze they're notorious for it and other lenses you just don't hear about it and if you're you're buying something relatively modern you know something 30 years old or so the chances are it won't have any haze and if the seller doesn't mention haze i wouldn't be too concerned about it but i would want to know about fungus and then other things i would want to know is what's the uh, focus ring like um, is it is it stiff is it well damped is it too loose um, that's that's something I'd want to know I'd, I'd want to know uh, if how well the aperture uh, actually the ap ap aperture dial um, people always talk about it being uh, positive and clicky and stuff like that well they all are <laughs> you know that's <laughs> that's just that's, that's I, go, I mean I, I write that in my description because everybody else does but you know it, it, that doesn't really mean that much but the actual how well the aperture works is a, is a different matter especially if yeah. it's an automatic lens yeah. um, because you get uh, if there's a bit of oil on there even if you can't see the, any oil on there you can have the, the, the aperture could be stuck so you can turn the aperture ring nothing happens uh, which oh. Uh, yeah, that's 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 no good to anybody. So that, those those are you know a few. I was going to say quick tips. I've just gone on for about five minutes. Uh, um, <laughs> are things that I would I would want to see in a description, and I'd want yeah. to see a positive uh, or, or negative um, answer to those points in a description. Yeah, and, so, you and know, I want... I, can I just say real quick? I, yeah. When I said I don't uh, care about the description, what I meant is. It's not that I don't care about the description because you're right. If if it doesn't say this lens has no haze, fungus, scratches, blah 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 blah, you have to assume if it wasn't mentioned that it that's probably an issue. I do. So I, I'm saying I don't believe the description. People can write whatever the hell they want. I just don't believe it. Mm. Um, but if they leave something out that is, you know, kind of fundamental. Let's say they've said, oh, it, it has, um, you know, some light dust and a couple of small cleaning marks, but it's clean otherwise. Well, if they know enough to know what a cleaning mark looks like yeah. versus a deep scratch and they, they've seen the dust in there, well, how would you not then see the separation of the haze if it's in there or the fungus? So if they haven't mentioned it, now I'm automatically suspicious why they saw those things and mentioned them and didn't just also say, but it is free of haze, fungus, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's like, you're right. The description is, it's more like the code words of a description yeah. and what is mentioned versus not mentioned can give you some huge clues. And so, so I, I read it as like, it's, um, a, a, uh, uh, <laughs> um, it's like a game <laughs> as far as what's described versus not described. And then depending on how they've written the description, depending on the photos of the item and depending on if their feedback score is good and if they state they take returns back or not. So all those things added up together are usually what will make me decide if I'm even going to bother, you know, buying something or not. But right. your, your, your points are excellent, Simon, because, you know, especially in the case of something like Haze, if it's not disclosed, you really need to ask. And then, the the problem is the seller may or may not know how to diagnose what that haze is. And that diagnosis may be different depending on the brand and the maker of the lens. I mean, I, it's all, you almost see almost all lights lenses from the, you know, forties, fifties, you know, that era have some amount of haze in them. It's just, hmm. it's, it's just normal, you know, and that haze may be really thick in which case it's going to, definitely soften up your images or it may be really thin and smoky and that thin smoky haze will often have zero effect on anything so it's 
so it's the the seller's ability to describe something like haze and then the buyer's ability to look at the item and understand okay is this haze because it's you know breakdown of the balsam glue between the elements is it aerosolized um lubricants from the focus helicoid is it droplets of uh is it tiny droplets of um lubricant that have are now on that back surface is it going to be cleanable um is this a lens where if you try to clean the haze off, you're going to actually clean all the coatings off, which is true of a lot of older Zeiss lenses. I mean, the, the coatings on some of the older Zeiss lenses are literally like just a film on the lens. And if you try to clean it off, you're literally going to wipe away the coatings. So you, so you have to, you have to, if you're buying it, you kind of have to know all of that, which is just a matter of doing, I guess your research and knowing the item. Um, so you, you can, the seller, you're right, Simon, is only going to be able to, to, to describe what they, to the limits of their knowledge, right? So it's then kind of on you to be able to say, okay, I can look at this lens and know that this haze is bad or this haze isn't bad, right? So I want to I follow up on what Simon said. Um, I gave some examples that made it sound like it's terrible to buy on, on eBay, but I've every, so I, I, I buy new camera, digital camera bodies. Um, directly from the, the manufacturer or from a, a, cam a reputable camera shop. But all of the classic lenses and cameras that I've ever purchased, I've purchased on eBay. And I'm looking here, and so I've had 464 eBay transactions, and those are all cameras and lenses. So let's say, I don't know, 300 of those are things that I've I don't know how to break down how many I bought versus sold. But they, originally, they all came from, from eBay. Um, so out of hundreds of transactions that I've had, I've probably had no more than 10 problems. And, uh, so so 95-plus percent have had satisfactory results. And I've never had a situation where the seller didn't refund my money. And so if you look at it that way, I've actually never had a problem buying anything on, on eBay. It's been annoying, at the, and, and that's the worst thing, of getting something in my hands and being excited that I have it and then realizing there's a problem and having to send it back, but I got my money back. So um, so I, I, from my perspective, eBay is a, a perfectly fi fine place to shop for things, but what I am finding is that maybe it, it is more risky to buy camera bodies on eBay than um, lenses unless you know a heck of a lot about old cameras. Now, I, I've been really lucky with with um, range finders, I, I, I had a Canon 7 range finder. It was perfect. I got a Canon P, perfect. A 4SB, perfect. And now all three of them, the range finder was off, but I realigned it. It takes you know, less than five minutes to do that with a screwdriver. And um, and my Leica 3A, perfect. So I've, I've been lucky with those, and and all of the uh, and I've had. Uh, Two different Olympus bodies, two different Pentax bodies, uh, a Nikon FA. Um, so these last ones that I just accounted a little while ago, those are oddities for me. They're not they're not the norm. And um, but the things that these that you guys said, I mean, exactly right. And I usually will go a little bit further um, if I have any question after reading the. First, of, if the if the person's first of all, if someone says, um, um, "Great lens, uh, looks." It looks like it's in fantastic condition. That if anybody who would buy a lens with just that information is a idiot or something. Okay, so I mean, um, 
so that I, would, I, would, I wouldn't even consider that. Um, no returns. There's no way I would buy anything that says no returns. Why would they yeah. say that unless they're trying to sell you something that's screwed up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but um, but if they if and, and there's a long list of things that we've just talked about that we want to know, right? When we're buying things, and um, especially with a camera body, and if they if they miss one, I always will email them and I'll say, um, tell me more about this particular attribute of the lens or the camera. Um, you know, is it, does it have this, how much dust inside, like how big are those dust particles? Because I did have, oh, I did have one bad experience. I've had one bad experience, a mere 24H, which is not an, an inexpensive lens. It said it had some, some dust particles in it. When I got it, it had a bug in it. And um, maybe and it the bug was dusty. It, it, it was a <laughs> bug about the size of like a, a tiny little flea or something. Right. And um, so, um, it didn't affect the pictures at all. I mean, it, you could not see it in the pictures. The, the photos were nice. But every time I looked at the damn thing and saw that bug, it drove me crazy. And so, you know, and so this is the one I was talking about before we started the podcast. I decided, well, I'm going to fix this because it's right behind the front element. I'll just take the front element out and I'll get it off. So I took off the, the name ring on the front and undid the front element, took it out. And, and, and I thought, oh, shit, it's behind the next element. And so then I undid the, took that element out, and it wasn't behind that element. It was behind the next element. And to get to that one, I was going to have to do a major disassembly of the lens, and I knew that I would screw it up. So I put it all back together, and um, I don't remember what I did with it. I might have gotten so pissed off I just threw it away. I don't remember. But it, <laughs> I didn't like the lens that well anyway. I don't like the bokeh of a Mir 24H. Simon likes it. I don't like it. I think it's kind of smudgy, <laughs> smudgy, like smudgy looking. I don't know what it looks like. But yeah. um, you've not used it on the Sony yet, though, have you? So you need to buy another. I'm not going to buy another. I don't want another one. I, I've, I've still kept my mirror one lens for the longest that I ever have out of the six or seven that I've had, and I, I'm okay with it on the Sony. But no, I'm not going to buy another one of those. But anyway, um, I've had really good experiences buying things on eBay, with these few exceptions. There's there's something just just on a, a theme from what you're just saying there um, about what you're actually expected and uh, I mean, I've got it written down here in capital letters uh, be realistic and and I think as yeah, yeah. as a buyer uh, we've just got to understand what it is that we're actually picking up at, at times and you know generally speaking we're talking about something that is usually at least thirty years old and could be a hundred years old or eighty years old and and so on and I know uh, carl you've you've got that uh like a 3a uh, which is new to you but it's what well, it's going to be 70, 70 odd plus years old yeah and 80 years old exactly. that's it and it's it doesn't work perfectly but it works well enough i know that you, there's a problem with it using it at one thousandth of a second right so it can't shoot it at a thousand yeah yeah but the thing is uh, that's that in itself is you know it's an it's a it's an old it's a piece of vintage equipment and it's the same goes with you buy a you know, your your other would you buy a car that's seventy years old and then run it every day um, and think that it's always going to get you to to working back every day and and you you know that it's not going to happen and the same applies with the kind of equipment that we've that we've got here so you know we do have to be realistic and um, make some allowances for for what we buy but ultimately if something is not described in the way that uh, you you get it um, well I think you've got every every right to be unhappy and and, and do something about it. Um, My 
My biggest um, peeve about eBay, honestly, is how it's gotten to the point where people can return something to you as a seller for no reason. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean so really, if you're worrying about buying something on eBay and not getting your money back, you don't you're, have to worry. No, but, you know, right. but give, give the <laughs> I mean, give the seller some 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 fair consideration, and and um, you know, so I I, I sold a, a Voigtlander um, 25 millimeter um, sn- uh, snapshot scopar, and it was it was a beautiful lens, absolutely perfect, and um, and, and the guy re- um, uh, clicked the return it button. And and, as, and he wrote, um, "I don't like the way it renders on my camera." Yeah, so that was yeah. it, you know. And yeah. you know, and so and then and that that was a bad run because there was another one this this next week. I, I agree and, with him, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, right, but, you know, right. Well, yeah, you know, and then the, and then there was another one the next week that was some minuscule kind of thing. And 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 I also have to tell you, you know, there, there's been cases where. Um, Someone has got. If someone gets something from me, and they say, um, send me an email. So I sold a um, a pen, um, one hundred millimeter lens one time to someone in Ohio, and um, the focusing was a little bit stiff, and I described it that way. But they um, contacted me, and they said the focusing is real. So it was in the winter, so it had gone through the mail, and it was really cold. Probably when the guy got it, and I guess, and I think the focusing probably felt really stiff. And the guy said, "The focusing is so stiff that it's just, I, 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 I don't want it." And it's, uh, and I said, "You know what? Um, I'll refund you the money, and you keep the lens, because I have a hundred percent satisfaction on eBay, and I don't want that to change." And so I've done that probably three times. Told the person, "Go ahead and keep it." If it's not not a really expensive lens, but something that's only fifty or sixty dollars, and that the person thinks that I sold them something that has a problem with it, I, I immediately tell them, "You keep it. I'm giving you your money back." Um, I just want to move the uh, the, the the chat on to some uh, to something specific, uh, and that's buying from Japan. Ah, yeah, buying yeah. from Japan. Um, and we've been talking about descriptions. And uh, why, uh, you know, what what they say and what they don't say, and, and reading a, a a description from a lens coming from Japan is an art in itself. Um, there's they they have a a very particular way of describing things, and um, it, and I, sometimes I wonder is this is this deliberately done that this way, or is it just just the way that they do it? And I'm pretty sure it's just the way that they do it, and it, and something gets lost in translation. But there's there's my my favourite um, statement, whether it's talk, talking about dust or haze or fungus or some or scratches or so on, and uh, and they'll they'll say no tiny scratch or no 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 tiny uh, fungus, which immediately to my mind says, well, what there's large fungus, there's a huge scratch, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and um, so yeah, that, I, that never never know quite which way to to take those. And the other thing, and I know this is something you've you've got some experience of, Carl, is. Uh, uh, lots of things are described as excellent, and then there's a number of uh, plus marks that, that that goes against that as well, isn't there? So right, if you if you buy, here's what I've discerned, and I buy, I bought a lot of lenses from Japan. First of all, if it says very good, don't even bother looking at it. The lens is <laughs> totally screwed up. It's like buying as is. Okay, if it says um, if it just says excellent without any um, pluses, something is seriously screwed up. If it says excellent plus 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 plus, something is wrong with it. And let me open one up here. No, so let me open. Let me do one. Here's an 
PM50 plus, uh, plus, plus, plus. Um, the, um, the infinity lock has worn off and the helicoid can no longer be locked. Um, one small scratch on rear element. Okay, so, all right, so I wouldn't buy, I wouldn't buy that lens. And now they've added a new category recently, I've noticed. They have, and so um, Eric Veldato told me, I think it was Eric. Uh, it was Eric or someone when I was buying a, a Nikon uh, AI 51.2. I don't remember if it was Eric. If, it was Eric, if it wasn't Eric, sorry about that. But someone who had that had a 55 said, if, okay, if you're going to buy it, you're probably going to get it from Japan because it's the only place that will have them. Only buy it if it says mint. And I did that, and it was great. And, and I've done others like that. So I've sort of always had this thing about, okay, Japanese lenses, only buy them if they say mint, and then read the description very carefully to make sure it's still that there's not something. Because they do a good job. They describe all of the, the attributes of the lens. They don't, they don't scrimp on that, and they show good photos. But there's a new category now called top mint. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, what the f <laughs> top mint. When it's mint, it's top mint, you know. <laughs> So, so I've seen some lately with mint, and then there's near mint. So near mint ones, there's something that isn't right about the lens. And then mint ones now, I've seen mint ones, there, there's some little thing. That's Mint's wrong. the new excellent. Mint is the new excellent. <laughs> I have to buy top mint. I top, think. Well, top mint is mint, on, mint turned up to 11, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, right. It's it's an interesting thing. top mint is. It's been improved. It's better than it was when it was first made. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, you know, the other thing. This isn't Japanese, but I don't ever buy lenses where someone says that they've cleaned and adjusted it. No, Unless never. Unless it's <laughs> this is from a camera shop. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, just a, yeah. a, qu a question for you, um, for you guys in in, in America, because um, I know that when I buy something in uh, from Japan, I'll get clobbered for uh, duty, import duty. Does that? Do, do you guys have that as well? No, we don't have any. Yeah, you know, you know what? I the only time I've ever paid import duty is actually I bought a, uh, a Polaroid one ninety five about five years ago or so from a seller in Canada of all places. Now Canada, right over the well. This is back when the U.S. had a friendly relationship with Canada, and we weren't at war with Canada. Um, you know, back when it been the good old days. But I, I, I ended up paying um, a fee on that, and what I realized was that it was because it was delivered via UPS, and the fee had nothing to do with freaking customs. It was UPS being dicks and just putting a fee on top of the delivery price. So as long as it delivers via USPS, the postal service, there's there's never any customs fee. But if it goes like through uh, FedEx or UPS or DHL or whoever the hell, they're they're going to put a fee on it and call it a customs fee. So it's it's just all BS. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's what so, I, know, that, I um, that's what I've been able to figure. That's the only thing I can figure. So, I've I've was been recently looking at um, LTM fifty one point four lenses again, because after the thing with my lens that I ended up selling at a at a low price because of that a balsam gate. Yeah, the other balls and things. I've 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 thought that I, I ought to have one of those again. I like it because it's small size, and the and the LTM adapter is very shallow, so it sits close to the camera. It's not this big long lens sticking out the front of the camera. And um, so here's one um, near mint. 
239 bucks. I mean, that's a that's a good price, I think. And um, right right now, compared to what they are in, and it says no haze, no fungus, no scratches, no separation, very few dusts, dusts. And then, but then under functional, it only says it works properly. So, if, so on this one, if, if I was going to buy this one, I would I would email the seller and I would say, "What do you mean it works properly? Tell me about the focus ring. Is it well damped? Does it turn smoothly? Tell me about the aperture. Is it snappy? Does it have any oil on it? I always worry about oil on, on apertures. I had someone last week. I was looking at a lens, and, and they said there was a little bit of oil, and then they said. Um, you don't need to worry about it because it's a rangefinder lens. And then I'm thinking, well, I don't. What do you mean I don't have to worry about the rangefinder lens? Because I don't know about haze, and I always have wondered, can haze sometimes happen because that the oil that's there on the blades starts to evaporate off and gets on the glass? So I, so I don't know that. And then I have, I, I have a number of lenses that after having them for a while have gotten oil. It, and I'm not exactly sure, and they're old. Yeah. So, so, my, so I have a Flectagon, and the Flectagon was one. I love the Flectagon. That's a 2.8 Flectagon. And um, it had no, no oil. Then it started to get a little bit of oil on it, and now yeah. it's stuck, and now it's stuck yeah. wide open. So, and then I have a, I have a, let me tell you one more, and then you can talk. So I have, okay. a, I have, a, pen, I have a Pen 38, 1.8, right? That's a nice lens, right? Um, it started to get some oil on it, and um, and, and now when I close the aperture, when I turn the dial, instead of closing right away, it closes real slow down to where yeah. I put it. Yeah. And so, okay, now you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, all right. So truth be told, that I mean, that is there is some truth in the fact that oil doesn't really matter on the aperture blades of a rangefinder lens because it's not an auto aperture lens that is actuated by the camera at the time of exposure to open and close automatically. Yeah. Right. So it, so it, to a degree that's true it doesn't it doesn't matter but we're talking about you sometimes you'll see a, a just some shine some some bright pat you know some bright shine marks on an aperture of a rangefinder lens which is actually tends to be a, a little bit of lubricant which really isn't a big deal now if it's like runny and drippy that's not good and there is some truth also to the to the fact that it is something to be concerned about because if the lubricants are aerosolizing, they turn into a fine mist that settles on the lens elements, which looks like, which is basically haze, which is a form of haze. So, I mean, okay. it's not, it's a little bit overstating to say, Oh, it doesn't matter. Cause it, it can matter. Right. Uh, but then there's the other case, which is I've straight up, I've, I had a lens once that I bought where it was like runny oil on the blades and somebody had clearly sprayed a bunch of WD 40, in the lens to get the aperture working again and and i think that's probably what you got because you know the normal state of many flectagons is the apertures are just stuck solid right so somebody probably squirted a bunch of goo in there to have it work just enough so that you got it and you could turn the aperture ring and then you know you give it a little bit of time and they that oil either ends up everywhere or it's it stops working and you plus you do live in florida so it's like hot right so oil, the lubricant migration is going to be for you probably even worse because if you've got the thing outside and it's 128 degrees and humid, it's going to, you know, that, that any lubricants are going to start to migrate. Yeah. So, you know, I've gotten worried lately. My, um, one of my favorite lenses is a Jupiter three. And, um, now originally I didn't think I was sophisticated enough to have a Jupiter three <laughs> or somebody told me that, but, um, 
I, th- I think that it's, it's, I'm getting on well with it. And um, it, it has a little bit of oil on the blades now. And um, it's happened recently. But it's it's just a little sheen, like you described yeah. it. But what yeah. I've been doing with it, because I'm paranoid about it, is first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm not leaving the – I don't – so I have this thing about not – I don't leave any of my lenses in the cabinet completely open. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want, I, that, and I don't know whether it's, it's a stupid thing, but I worry that they're going to get stuck wide open if they, and because I've had it, I have some lenses that are stuck wide open, so I leave them, I leave them <laughs> stopped down just a little bit, and then I also will go through and I'll change, I'll adjust the, I'll open and close the aperture on all of my lenses every once in a while when I'm Smart. not using them for a long time, and I don't know if that's a dumb thing to do or not either. Have, have, but, you, got, have you got a clipboard and like a little checklist that you do? <laughs> no, they're in boxes. They just go through them one after another. There's only sixty of them. And Carl's like, I think I'll go have a good lens. And he goes and he just plays with all his, turns all his rings. You should have seen me last night. So I decided today I wanted to use the Helios 103 on my Sony, and I have, I have two, adap- two adapters of those um, of those special um, ad- adapters from. Cosbic uh, 84 who they're nice I like them a lot even some people don't like these I like them I think they're good um, but I have two for um, the uh, my old Olympus that I don't own anymore and I have one for a Fuji and I have one no I have two for the Sony because there's something wrong with one and they sent me a different one so I, I'm going through I'm trying to find the right one and then I have five Helios 103 lenses and I'm getting my light out so that I can see which one has a crack in it because the one with the crack is the good one and so I finally got it all put together my life's like what the hell are you what are you doing in there what's all that noise oh no I'm going through my adapter box (laughs) (laughs) I'm adapting honey Um, th- th- I'm, I'm just just aware we've been we've been talking for a long time, but um, there's one more thing on uh, buying that uh, I want to uh, just just cover off, and that's uh, buying from uh, Russia and uh, Ukraine um, and uh, people's thoughts. I mean, I'll just quickly go forward on mine, and uh, I have no problem at all uh, with uh, buying something from either Ukraine or uh, or Russia, and um, I bought several items. Uh, I've had only one problem, and the problem that I had uh, that resulted in the uh, the seller uh, giving my money back, and uh, I kept the lens. Um, the only downside I've had with uh, with with buying from Russia and uh, Ukraine is just the the time it can take uh, for something to arrive, uh, because the the postage is just tends to be very very slow. Um, yeah. I mean, when you get things from China and things like that, that they can be slow, but you just always it's always slow. It seems uh, when it comes from uh, uh, Russia or Ukraine, but other than that, I have no problems with uh, with buying those. So I'm good. I'm good with also with purchases from Russia um, and the Ukraine. Um, uh, the time is about five weeks typically for me to get them from there. Um, and th- the only two exceptions are that lens that I described that had a bug in it. That was from the Ukraine, um, but that was an exception. And um, um, my Jupiter Nine is, is a disappointment to me because when I got my Jupiter Nine, it um, it focused very smoothly, and within less than a month, it got really tight. And so, I don't know whether it was just coincidence that that it's happened. Good, it, no, it needs another good rub down with the bacon grease. That's what I'm thinking. Something like yeah, that, right? Talk to Vlad. Yeah. Vlad can get, Vlad can get you hooked up with the sa- yeah. the the sallow yeah. service where you can get and, it regreased. You know, and then and just you know going back to something Simon said about the uh, petri and giving a. 
benefit of the doubt to the seller. If if you were if I would I would be scared to sell any of my Petri cameras. They're they were all were cheap, you know. I did this search thing, and you remember, I, so I bought my Petris for in the in the twenty dollars each range, right? And I have three that work right now. But um, I know that I could test it, and when I click the shutter and then put it in a box, that might have been the last time it worked. Yeah. So. Um, I, I, that's that camera. I wouldn't. I would. Those cameras I won't, won't sell. And the ones that I have that are bricked up are sitting up on a dis, on the top of my cabinet where I display cameras that don't work. Well, there we go. I think we'll bring things to an end now. Um, but before we say goodbye and everything like that, so I've, uh, Johnny, have you got any shout outs you might want to do? I I do have one um, because in the last episode, um, I. I mentioned a comment from um, my my buddy uh, Lucas Frazzi, I called him, but his actually pronunciation, correct pronunciation of his last name is is Frazzi. And this is where I said Luca Frazzi. And everybody thought I said Luca Brazzi. So now yeah. his official new name. <laughs> so please only refer to Lucas Frazzi as Luca Brazzi. And uh, Cole? Yeah, I have one. I have a shout out to, to one of our admins and uh, and one of our members. So um, in the last episode, we talked about flaneurs, okay? And I I want I, I got to say, um, Ray Rico posted a photo on July six that's just absolutely flan- fantastic. So uh, good job. It's fantastic. Good say, job. Yeah. Fantastic <laughs> job, flaneur Rico. <laughs> well, actually, uh, Mehdi Buhalasa, I can say it too. Um, <laughs> he, uh, hey, Mehdi, how's yeah, the cat? Yeah. He, um, he, he mentioned uh, that he did actually, actually, it should have been on the feedback. Um, he, he went through actually how to say uh, that word beginning with F and L. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and because we were all saying it wrong. Um, oh right, yeah, 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 and it's something that I haven't got it in front of me now, but it's something like flanheur or something. Flanheur, or do you not say the H? I can't remember, so um, we'll have to have to go go back on that one. Um, and uh, I've got a, a quick shout out, and that's for. Uh, somebody that's currently got the banner, but now I've actually said that chances are we'll probably change the banner image on the, this is the Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook group uh, site, and that's uh, Adolfo Rosenfeld, um, who has been posting some absolutely beautiful portrait shots of beautiful models from Argentina yeah. in beautiful Argentina light. And uh, and I think they've just been absolutely stunning. So um, um, look at them while you can, especially the banner one, which has been on now nearly nearly for a week. Uh, but I I don't want to take it down. I don't know about you guys, but it's, um, it's nice. Yeah, it's yeah, really nice. Yeah, yep. great, great photos. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's uh, bring things to an end. Um, uh, Johnny, how can people follow you and uh, outsider here? Yeah, um, you can find me uh, on Instagram um, at, at System Photography. Uh, you can uh, find me in the Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook group. Uh, and you can find me most days at uh, the sale camera sales counter at Central Camera Company in Chicago, where we actually inspect our equipment and make sure it's working and give you a 90-day warranty. <laughs> uh, but, you, but you don't always post the right picture. Is that right? <laughs> I usually post the right picture. <laughs> usually, okay. unless, unless unless somebody like Simon notices and says, "What? What's up with that?" <laughs> they, don't, they, don't, they don't have to do that at camera shops. 
<laughs> and uh, Cole, how about you? So um, on Instagram and on Flickr, just my name. And then on the photography with Classic Lenses Facebook page. Okay, well, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. I'm on Flickr as Simon Forster. Uh, you can find my eBay shop uh, if you do a seller search for It's Fozzy, or you can actually type in Simon Forster, and I think it will actually come up on, on the search there. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I'm all thinking about giving up on Twitter. Uh, I'm yes. Um, I have a website which is www.simonforsterphotographic.co.uk, which I keep saying I'm going to put lenses on there, uh, but so it's still largely populated by KF adapters. Um, but there is one lens on there at the moment, and it's a Canon. Uh, 135mm f3.5 it's an LTM 39 lens and it's beautiful but the the big news there is that I've also done a video description as well um, and it's something that I think I'm actually going to start doing more video descriptions and start putting those onto the website so uh, that might be a um, a good reason to take a look at the lenses that I'm selling. So uh, hopefully I'll put a, a few more on. Uh, it's, it's an excellent video. It really is. Well, People should Simon. check it out just to see, it's a good, just it's to a get good more video. Simon when he's not on the podcast, just so you can and, hear Simon. And Simon, before you close, I, I want to I want to pay you a compliment. And it's not a joke. It's actually, I'm going to do this. I'll sit down. And I hope, Here it comes. I hope you don't get a big ego because of me complimenting you. But no, your dragonfly shot yesterday was brilliant. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was, I was pleased with that. I mean, that was um, with uh, my old favorite lens as well, my uh, Carl Zeiss yep. Planar. And, yep. um, and All right. I wanted... I, I've, I've, I go for a walk in, a, in an area where i know that there are dragonflies and damselflies and things like that and um but they never seem to be around uh, so mm. i thought well, i'm not going to take a macro lens so i'll just just take the planar and um, and lo and behold there were just loads of the things and i just could not get as close as i wanted to on any of them but um but what it did and it's just i think about being limited by the equipment that you use to get the most out of what you have and so instead of like trying to want, I wanted to do a macro shot of this, of this lovely uh, damselfly, but I couldn't do that. Um, so I did a effectively like an environmental portrait, if you, if you, if you like. Um, so it's there was there's there's more uh, of what's going on around uh, the subject matter than the actual subject matter itself. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's probably a more interesting shot as a result of it. So, uh, so, so yeah, be if you're, if you're restricted, sometimes it can work out better than if you turn up with the right equipment. So if you've, really improved in your photography. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I knew it coming. I knew it. Okay. Well, oh, I was I was going to close it there, but this is this is this is where Johnny tells us all about the email address, isn't it, Johnny? Ah, oh, damn it. I was thinking you had forgotten and I was going to get it in at the Hey Simon, but no, you remembered. Uh, yes, you can email us at uh, classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. And uh, so hope you've enjoyed uh, today's show um, and it'd be great if you can join us again next week thank you goodbye <laughs> I, like, I like Hamish's uh, green, green vomiting uh, uh, there, there was a there's actually a good uh, there was a good exchange on Sunny 16 about the podcast yes uh, Sunny 16's Instagram about yeah. the podcast 
because they're, they're they're adamant that that everybody should have Fujika M42 camera. Are you are you, you going to do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, right. I, yeah. I, I, got it. <laughs> yeah. So, I think I think was that on Annals post or oh no, it wasn't. It was actually a Sunday Sixteen post, wasn't it, Bagger? Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. By the way, uh, on Instagram, it's Graham. Um, he, he's he is Sunday Sixteen on Graham, whereas Aid is Gra- on yeah. Twitter. Okay. Um, so um, so, it's, so Gra- it's Graham who is commenting yeah, here, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. just just say Graham rather than Gra- okay. Graham. Just 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 say Graham. I can't. My my mouth oh. doesn't make oh, that right. sound. Okay. I'm from Chicago. I, no, no, that's okay. Graham. I, hey, I, Graham. Yeah. That, I, that like that Graham. Yeah, that's that's it. Okay. Sorry. I thought I thought you were trying to say it differently because of the way it's spelled. You see, so uh, I didn't realize you. That's how you do it. Nice. Yeah. No, that's, that's Grummy. Good. Hey, Grummy. <laughs> <laughs> Hamish wasn't really didn't give a glowing review of the LTM fifty. 1.4 he kind of said it was, it was it was a good lens and he's not keeping it so that's oh really i, I thought he, i thought it was I, was that like in the wrap-up because i read most oh, of it yeah. Oh, yeah okay had the, oh. no, if you go all the way to the end he, he so let's say so he kind of you know at the very so his, his photos are great um but but he says um okay um uh, skip to the end da, 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 da. um uh, speaking objectively um well, I really love this lens. I've decided not to keep it. I have a lot of 50 millimeter lenses now, and I'm trying to pare them down a little. Um, yeah, but, but no, 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 no. yeah. So, uh, that all said, if you're looking for a good value, fast 50 lens, you don't mind, or indeed a little bit classic running, but want something fairly reliably, in parentheses, good, it's hard not to recommend this lens. So, but this is Hamish. You're talking about a guy who's who's reviewing a Ford who has a Lamborghini. Why why would he keep it? Oh, you you know this Ford Taurus. It's I gotta say, it's really a pretty darn good car. But I think I'm gonna stick with my Lambo for now. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Simon, can I just say one, one last thing? Just say something. Just say anything. Hey. Um, there we go. I love it when you come up now in your profile picture, which fades to black. You're like <laughs> just that floating head. <laughs> right. black, and then it pulsates. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like, Simon, this is God speaking. <laughs> it's just this pulsating Simon head. It's awesome. <laughs> Hello again. I've just realised after 26 episodes that we've not been correctly crediting uh, our um, theme music and outro music, which is by Kevin McLeod of Incomtech or Incompetech.com, uh, who provides uh, royalty-free music. Um, we always uh, put this in the in the show notes, so we keep it within the data within the recording. But we should also say it as well. So uh, again, uh, thank you, Kevin, for letting us use your music. Um, Octo Blues is what we use, and uh, we will continue to use it again. But uh, next time, we'll say thank you in each episode. So thanks again, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs>